Somewhere in the suburbs, Isaac has returned from the wars to help take care of his ailing father, only to enter a different war zone, a household in revolt. In Taylor Mac's sly, subversive comedy, Her, presented by Intamon Theater, annihilating the past doesn't always free you from it. Check out Her, that's H-I-R, directed by Jennifer Zale at Arts West Theater or online at www.intamon.org backslash her. Remember, that's H-I-R. Intamon Theater's Her is our sponsor, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. What's up, peoples? Another week, another episode. Hope you all are having a good time out there been a strange week a lot of bad news a lot of weird news had some conversations with people who didn't know there was a russia investigation um i don't know what to make of that but this is gonna be a fun episode because we're gonna try something a little different first of all i'd never done a phone interview before i got kenneth arthur who is the managing editor of field goals blog that's the big seahawks blog and this is not a sports show folks. This is uh, very different, in fact, but sports do play an interesting and crucial role. And uh, you know what? I like the Seahawks. So I got him on. And he was gracious enough to call me from LA where we tried our first ever phone interview. And then I had uh, my buddy, Doug Abbott, amateur sports impresario, come on down. And we talked a little bit about a really fun topic, which cities should the NBA poach its team from to move back here? I think you'll like both interviews little sports bonanza, sports extravaganza, sports marathon. And um, next week we'll get back to the zoning stuff. Hi, is this Kenneth? Tim. Thanks for calling in. Sure, no problem. You know, I love your your site, and I also just listen to uh, the 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 podcast all the time as a big fan. So I figured um, with what I'm doing, which is really just capturing different types of people across Seattle who are doing interesting things, I thought you'd make a perfect fit. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. How did you get into being so engaged with Seahawks stuff? Uh, you know, which obviously you've been doing it for a while now. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I grew up in Bellevue, Washington, and uh, I don't know why I need to say Washington. I'm sure your listeners know that, but I grew up in Bellevue and became a Seahawks fan uh, late 90s, mid to late 90s when I was, you know, middle school aged and, you know, started following teams through just that and became very interested in statistics and stuff like that, especially with the Mariners and the Sonics and uh, the Seahawks, I I was just more interested in becoming uh, more engaged and more knowledgeable about things uh, and how like a team could be successful. Like that's always kind of been my most interested point of what I'm driving towards. My motivation is how do teams win in any of these sports? And after the Sonics left, you know, that kind of cut me down to two teams that I followed. And then around I was basically blogging on my own in different, just making up your own blogs in the early 2000s and off and on for from 
2001, probably when I was graduating high school throughout college and then uh, up to like 2009 or 2010 or something like that. Just always trying to, it was basically, if I had a question in my mind, like who was the best Seahawks draft pick or who was, you know, the most efficient pitcher or something for the Mariners and I couldn't find it to my satisfaction, that's kind of what drove me to write the article myself. So that's when I started learning on my own how to, to research and write articles and then try and hopefully what I, what I wanted to do was inject some, you know, personality and humor into it, you know, and that's up to the to the readers beholding if they want to find it funny or interesting. But I did that for, you know, a decade. And then in 2011, Danny Kelly, after he had taken over field goals from John Morgan, a few months into his run. I was writing for another SB Nation blog called Fake Teams, and that was about fantasy sports. And I was writing fan posts on Lookout Landing and the Mariners blog and uh, and field goals. And Danny Kelly just asked me if I wanted to join the regular staff. And at that point, I decided to just drive. I was a big fan of field goals. I was very excited to write for the site's front page. And I just decided to dedicate all of my time to that, which meant kind of ignoring every other sport and just focusing on the NFL, and that's sort of how I became focused on the Seahawks with all of my writing specific, and then the NFL in general, which I now do for other websites. So that's interesting. So it was actually, there's like a journey there from the individual to the community, right? How much do, how much do you know about uh, the history of SB Nation and, and how that kind of stood up? I've always been really curious what the story is there. Um, I, I, I have not that much knowledge about it. You know, I think around 2005 or 2006, there were a few blogs that started. I believe one of them was like a Giants, San Francisco Giants blog and Oakland A's. And I think it was around the the Bay Area. And yeah, they just, I think they just then started from that sort of found like, oh, well, why don't we have a blog for all the teams and started you know, it, not all of the blogs came on at once, you know, it was more about just over the course of a few years and the Seahawks won, the guy who named it field goals and all that kind of stuff. I believe, oh man, see, I might be wrong, but I think Scraps might have been uh, the first guy, maybe first or second. And But I, I started following it when John Morgan was the writer and he is like a super analytical guy. And I think that comes with Seattle, like the Seattle sports scene is just more on the statistical, logical, you know, side, really trying to remove things like hyperbole and trying to take away the mysticism of grit and more be like, oh, great, you know, like with the Mariners, I think there was a more, there's more of an emphasis on things like wins above replacement and fan graphs and, and those kinds of things. And I, and I, I think with John Morgan running field goals, it was more of a side of like trying to, analyze the Seahawks and team sports um, from a standpoint that removed the emotion and said like, well, this is what I believe will happen. And, and, you know, that's sort of what Danny Kelly, you know, carried on with when he was running the site, but more way on the side of like breaking down plays and the history of schemes and, and that kind of thing. And uh, for me, I was always a big fan of, like I said, statistics and advanced statistics like you'd get from uh, football outsiders and DVOA and that kind of thing. So we always, from a Seattle standpoint, I think wanted to take it from a more analytical side of reporting uh-huh. and less of a fan side. Of less reporting. emotional. I mean, you're talking about Seattle generally. I, I know what you're kind of referring to is the site 
in terms of Seattle, you know, you, you, we both know the city's changed a lot in the last decade. So I'm curious how being a sports fan and being a Seahawks blogger and, and the community around sports here in Seattle has changed along with the city. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I have to say that I moved to Los Angeles in 2009. So I've not lived in uh, Washington since then. So for like the last nine years. And I've only been reporting on the Seahawks from down here. And I can't even truthfully imagine necessarily what it's like there now compared to when I lived there, especially because when I, most of the time that I lived there, I was a kid and kids are dumb and kids don't really have understanding of their surroundings. And uh, I didn't really hang out in Seattle. I spent most of the time in Bellevue. And I think that as far as like what I can gather from an outsider standpoint, because I feel like at this point I consider myself an Angelino. You know, I've lived most of my adult life here in L.A. I can only say that I think Seattle fans, like I was saying, or people from Seattle, you know, that they're more, they just lean more towards the side. I want to say like type A side, but that's not probably right. But just more like on, because I don't really even have an understanding of psychology and type A, type B. I think more just on the side of, you know, the Microsoft, the Amazon, the type of person that's thinking in terms of what what do the numbers tell us and what how do we grow and get better and become successful in the sides of, you know, a lot of successful technological type of companies and uh, really successful people that, that live in that area because they're pursuing those things just like you would get in a Silicon Valley or you know, you're going to get certain types of people that migrate to Seattle. And, and um, just like here in L.A., where you get people migrating from all over the country and all over the world. But a lot of L.A. people fall in the same spectrum because you moved here to be a lot of them to be a part of the Hollywood and the film industry and TV. Those types of people have a, a certain type of personality and a way of life. And I, I think like that's, and that's just a general statement. Not everyone's like that. And I think with Seattle, they're out there recruiting people to move to work at Microsoft and Amazon and, and whatever. I don't know how many people still work at Boeing over there, but Starbucks and, and there's like a, just, just a different kind of a mindset. And I think that mindset is, more on the logical, though I would also say that Seattle fans, in terms of a game aspect, can be quite, you know, rabid and excitable. And, you know, even a guy like Paul Allen, who, you know, is the model of a Microsoft person for obvious reasons, is very blown over by sports and absolutely loves his teams and goes crazy for it. And I think that Seahawks fans similarly do go crazy for the team and maybe it's their escape from from the cubicles and being able to just be a fan so there's a little bit of there's maybe a meme out there that says the crowd has gotten tamer that they're not as intense sounds like maybe you disagree with that um i don't know that the crowd is like here here's my anecdote when i moved to la in 2009 uh there's a bar here in culver city uh, which is just, you know, a, a neighborhood of Los Angeles that I was living in. There's a bar here called The Backstage. And The Backstage is like the Seahawks bar of L.A., especially at the time. Now more have popped up because of the popularity of the team. But if you were a Seahawks fan, you would go to The Backstage. And um, so in 2009, you know, I was excited because I lived close to this bar and we could go there. And 
in week one of like the 2009 season, the place is packed. By, and if you remember how 2009 went, by week four, the place was empty. You know, the, the, the team wasn't doing that well. And then in 2010, you know, the Seahawks, they got Pete Carroll, which is another reason to be excited in Southern California. Uh, so, you know, that season had, in the beginning, maybe the Seahawks do okay and you have hope. The place was packed. By, by the end, you know, I went there for the, the game against the Rams in week 17 when it was like win to win the division, even if though they were going to be 7-9. and nine, And the place was decent. Like, you know, there were a number of people there. But then when they beat the Rams and they went to the playoffs and played the Saints, it was one of the craziest, most exciting, awesome atmospheres that I've ever been in. I still remember it and hold it dear. I mean, not when the beast mode quake happened, uh, it was awesome. It was nuts. Everyone was hugging and the place was packed. And then, you know, the next week against the Bears, they, they lost. It wasn't a great game, but there was a lot of excitement. Then 2011, you know, there's that excitement at the beginning of the year, but things fell off and the place was empty. And I remember you could go in there and there might be four or five fans. And that's how it was for most of the season. 2012, they start winning and they got Russell Wilson and they're going to the playoffs and they beat Robert Griffin III. And then by 2013, there's a line outside of the bar by 9.30 in the morning and you can't even like get in if you didn't get there by 9.30, even if it's three hours ahead of game time. People going crazy. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying when they, they get so excited when the team is good. These, yeah. Yeah. You know, I would say that it's just probably, I don't go anymore uh, for a number of reasons. I don't live by the backstage. I don't really like going to bars to watch games. I would rather watch them, you know, at home or, or <laughs> somewhere else, but it's not the way I would do it, but I would say you can probably go by, by the time they'd gotten, you know, eight and seven, nine, nine, and, you know, something like that, that it wasn't that bad. And I think that's just a product of most, I mean, every, I'm going to say every team has fair weather fans. It's not. And the only reason that people go around calling another city's teams, fair weather fans is because they're, they're just talking trash, you know, that, that, and they don't really have any defense for their own fair weather fans because it just happens everywhere. When teams are good, more people support them, and I think that's understandable. When teams are not so good, less people support them. How many fans in Seattle are continuously selling out Mariners games, the worst franchise perhaps in American sports now? It, it's going to be supportive of a team that's not worth watching. If it's hard to watch, you know, are you a, such a huge fan of Francis Ford Coppola because of the Godfather movies and 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 uh, Apocalypse Now, that you're going to go see the movies that he makes now and, and sell them out and, and make $100 million? No, nobody really does that anymore. So it's like you have to keep putting out a good product. If the fans are less excitable or less coming out in droves for the Seattle sports, it's because their teams wouldn't be worth watching as much. And I think the Seahawks are worth watching, but if they're, you know, if it's a little less, excitable than it was when they were going to the Super Bowl, I think that's understandable. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, the home crowd, they talk about, you know, if this, this, this year was a down year for the first time, really since kind of the Pete Carroll era, right? Um, uh, I guess that second year wasn't so great either. But, um, you know, they talk about how the crowd is, the noise is down, but I, I just don't buy it. I went to two games this year, and I could barely think after I left the game. Uh, I went to that Houston game with the big comeback. 
uh, you know, I don't, I'm sure you caught it. I don't know if you were up in town or not. I mean, it, it, the noise is deafening. And actually, Houston did have a few false starts in that game. So, huh. you know, this idea that the crowd is like tamer now because it's all Amazon executives or something. I, I personally, I think it's a little bit overstated, maybe a little exaggerated. Sure, I, I can buy that. You know, I don't have any uh, real evidence to support it, but I would buy that, you know, that the team still was selling out games this year and that, you know, when they're having a game like they did against the Texans, that they were very loud. But, you know, when they got blown out by the Rams at home, I'm sure it wasn't that loud. And if that's how the crowd was, well, I, I would say that's not enough of a sample size. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. You know, what's next? You know, what what is the role that the Seahawks are going to play? I mean, do you see them being kind of a competitive team in the league? Do you see them being something the city rallies around? Or, you know, will it, the attention shift to maybe, you know, the Mariners or maybe getting, uh, maybe the Sounders are still competitive every year. We're going to get a hockey team. I mean, wh- where do you see sports preferences going? And, and what do you think about the near future of the Seahawks? Um, I'm sure that the sports preferences will go where, you know, the wins are. And, um, you know, other than the hockey team, like, you know, whenever that happens, and I'm not following it, but, you know, whenever that happens, I'm sure the first season will be a sellout because of the excitement of the fact that it's happening. And then, you know, and then the sellouts will drop off unless the team is winning. And that's just, you know, again, that's just the realities of sports and fandom a lot of the time. So, and in terms of other teams, like I know that a lot of people love the Sounders. I don't follow soccer at all, but I would imagine that from what I understand, they're a good team. And Seattle does feel like more of a team that likes soccer than uh, other cities in America. So, you know, I could see them having, you know, a good following. And as far as the Mariners go, you know, I think a lot of it is just going to come down to ownership. You know, whenever that changed hands, you know, showing more of I don't even know what they exactly have to do but they have to do stuff that makes the team win because I think that you know their pursuit of the Japanese pitcher flash hitter this past offseason and their signing of Robinson Cano you know it does prove it does say like hey you can't say that we're trying to like spend 60 million dollars on the payroll and do nothing okay so they're, they're maybe putting out some effort but a lot of the times in baseball, as in other sports, if you're not drafting well, it, it doesn't really matter. You have to be able to uh, put some young, cheap talent out there. And, you know, the Mariners haven't done that in 20 years. So that's, you know, that's a problem for the Mariners. And as far as the Seahawks go, I think that it just really comes down to, you know, how they respond to their, you know, as they said, their, their worst season since 2011. But, you know, with added perspective on, you know, their worst season, they were a 9-7 team that came very close to making the playoffs, so they don't have a lot of wiggle room to change. They're basically going to bring, be bringing back the team, I think, with maybe one big addition, It's and, and maybe none, maybe no big additions, because if they uh, – they basically right now, after they release Jeremy Lane and Cliff Averill, assuming they do that, they'll have $26 million uh, in cap room uh, – beginning at that point and they may make other changes of course that changes their amount of cap space but you have to you have to take 12 million of that cap space and set it aside for certain types of players and that would leave them with 14 million in cap space and that might give them the opportunity to sign one guy between Sheldon Richardson, Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham. So if they sign one of those guys then you're basically probably seeing the same Seahawks team next year 
And at that point, you kind of just have to hope that if they're starting the season with Dwayne Brown at left tackle instead of trading for him in the mid-year, so they're starting with a good left. Chris Carson is healthy and plays as well as he did at the beginning of his rookie season, then they've got a nice running back that's going to be a huge upgrade over what they had last year. And if some of their younger guys like Amara Darbo or Delano Hill or Frank Clark, you know, who's going into his last season, take that next step and become really big contributors like they got in 2011, 2012 from Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, and Earl Thomas, then they're going to be competing for the Super Bowl because they've got Russell Wilson, and that means that they've got a chance. So I think if the Seahawks are a playoff team, like you said, the fans and the, the, the support will be as big as it ever was, like it was during the Texans game last year. And if they ended up, you know, having a more unfortunate injuries and fall to, you know, six and 10 or something like that, then some of the changes, you know, there's already been a little bit of a momentum to start changing the team around after firing both coordinators and some assistant coaches um, will continue forward, perhaps with changing at uh, coach. So, um, that's not me saying that I think Pete Carroll should be fired or would be fired or could be fired. I mean, I guess it is me saying that he could be fired, but I, I don't really see that happening. But if they did fall back, then I think that, you know, you'd see some more changes. Great. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying, what every great mind says in moments when they're asked tough questions, which is it depends, <laughs> right? It depends if they, if they, if they stay healthy and if they do, they can win a lot of games. And if they do, they'll be back. That sounds great. Uh, you know, I, I want to thank you, Kenneth Arthur. Thanks so much for taking time to call into the studio and, and be a guest on the show. Uh, thank you for having me and wanting to talk to me. That's great. It's Kenneth Arthur. He's a nice guy. I don't think he was really one to banter much, but he sure did like to talk a lot about the Seahawks, and I appreciate him for it. And then we got, uh, we got Doug in the studio. Check him out. Snapchat. Why is this thing? I don't get it. I um, should get. I should uh, figure it out for advertising. That's true. Purposes, but uh, uh, I'm here with my buddy Doug Abbott. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna do something fun today. We're gonna talk about which cities Seattle should poach its NBA team from. Exactly. Got a top five for you. Okay. And uh, yeah, so this is not based at all on likeliness. Okay. This is purely based on, you know, his team history, fan engagement, what they mean to the city, uh, karma, okay. and, and my general preference. Okay. Oh, general preferences, I think, are very important when deciding for a metro area of three million people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can speak forever. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you can, too. <laughs> All right. All right. So number five. Number five, the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks. Okay. Tell me why. So the Atlanta Hawks this year fill 75% of their seats. That's the lowest in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The second lowest in the NBA is 82.6. So they're really hurting. They're hurting. And that's just the numbers they're reporting. Right. So you can imagine you know, what the real numbers actually are. So a, a, a night at a Hawks game is a lot like a weekend camping because no one else is there. 
Yeah, precisely. Which nope. makes it a perfect match for the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and they're terrible. They're really, <laughs> they're bad. really bad. They're also very, very bad. But you know, a couple of years ago, they had a they had a decent team. Uh, I think 2014 and 2015, they were in the playoffs. They made a conference finals. They had the ethos of a team, ball movement. You know, right. everyone got involved, and they were still 23rd in the league in attendance. So people don't want them there, is what you're saying. Feels like it's Falcons Town. Yep. Got it. Yeah. They did win a championship or else in the fifties, or else I would have put them uh, higher on the higher. list. And but this might be a good opportunity to talk about I think a, a principle that you and I both share, which is that once a team has won a championship, they do get very special consideration. It should be harder to poach exactly. uh, a team that's won a championship. Which by the way, does apply to Seattle, which makes the outrage even stronger considering that they've been poached. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, once you have a championship or, you know, real playoff history, yeah, you know, I think it, it matters. It, it matters in terms of NBA history and the, the history of the team. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. It's part of the narrative of the city. Exactly. All right, number four. Number four, the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, the, the recently moved Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> the recently moved Brooklyn Nets. So I think we can all agree when the Nets were in New Jersey, they were completely irrelevant. That's correct. Right? Then they got a Russian billionaire owner. Jay-Z had a minority stake. They moved to Brooklyn, and they're still irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> so here's so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through their attendance uh, ranks in the league over the last 10 years, okay. right? So this is starting 2009 when they were in New Jersey still. Mm -hmm. 30 teams in the league. Mm -hmm. 27th, 30th, 25th, 29th. They moved to Brooklyn. First year. Mm -hmm. 12th. Okay. Okay. Not bad. New York's a big city. New York's a big city. And they traded for uh, all the old Celtics guys. Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and everyone. Then 14th. Now, again, this is... The biggest market in the country with a new stadium, Jay-Z part owner, a good team, a, a playoff team, right. and they're still middle of the league. Right. And then the last three years, 17th, 25th, 25th. Wow. So if Atlanta is a more of a, they're a Falcons city, then Brooklyn is more of a wear ironic t-shirts and go to a hookah bar city. Yeah, and you know, ultimately it's all New York City and New York City is the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, it it just is. Sure. It, you know, it, it would take, I, I don't know what it would take for, for the Nets to even get close to the Knicks. I just don't, I don't think it can happen. Well, it would almost take like a horrible owner being in charge of the Knicks for like 30 years and then hiring a coach who repeatedly sexually harassed women in his office for over a decade and then have an Asian sensation that could create, you know, billions of dollars of revenue in China and then trading him away because they didn't like his ego. It would have to be something like that, right? Well, you know, Ian, that sounds strangely <laughs> familiar, and that still it's didn't still dethrone them. <laughs> okay, okay, the Seattle Nets, okay, number Seattle three. Seattle Nets, number three, New Orleans Pelicans. Okay, um, dumb name. Dumb name. I'm going to weigh in here before you even have a chance. It's yeah. the worst name in the NBA, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a pretty bad one. Yeah. You know, I can almost repeat the Hawks argument right here they have made the playoffs twice in the last eight seasons they're regularly in the middle of the pack in terms of teams with kind of average seats filled Mm -hmm. but they have the lowest arena capacity in the league by over a thousand seats right so it's low attendance by percentage and by numbers nobody's going because they have all that great jazz why would you go to see a shitty basketball game when you could watch 
some kind of great second line band or something. Yeah, and you know that's the thing is, really, do they need them? Right, culture. It's a football town. Amazing food. Amazing music. Partying feels like it's probably enough for people. Yeah, I, I don't I, even think the Pelicans show up during Mardi Gras, right? <laughs> they, they don't. They they just forfeit all their games. Probably. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Just, you know, get them out. Get them out. All right, number two. Number two. Pretty simple argument I have for this one. Oklahoma City Thunder. The number two. I was expecting them at number one. You stole it. Give it back. <laughs> I mean, it's easy, right? Give it back. And he's a little bit of a of a, of a nut job, but I wouldn't mind rooting for Russell Westbrook. Yeah. And he's fun to watch. He's got two more years before he slams into something and shatters a kneecap or something, right? Yeah, who knows? We'd have two good years with him. Maybe they'll keep Paul George. Yeah. Could be fun. Yeah. They've taken all these years of Kevin Durant from us. Right, right. So if they're number two... Who's number one? Number one, the L.A. Clippers. <laughs> the L.A. Clippers, Steve Ballmer. Bring it home, Steve Ballmer. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You know, Steve Ballmer, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, you're probably not going to go down as the best CEO in Microsoft history or the second best, <laughs> but you can still be a Seattle legend. That's right, that's right. And top three Microsoft CEO. Top three, exactly. Number one basketball executive in Seattle history. It's his for the taking. Exactly. It's the, it's right there. And when you think about the Clippers, right, I mean, they're not even a little brother to the Lakers. They're basically Harry Potter when he went to live with the Muggles. Yeah. <laughs> Living under the stairwell. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're guests in their own building. They've... Before 2012, they made the playoffs five times in 40 years. They were owned by, I believe, a Klan member yes. for a long time before Ballmer took over. Terrible, terrible owner. I mean, does anyone need a fresh start more than that? They finally get good. You know, they have a four or five year run with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. They never make it to the Western Conference Finals right. even. Right. And now both of those dudes are gone. Yep. Yep. I think that settles it. So just to recap, number five. Number five is the Atlanta Hawks. Number four. Brooklyn Nets. Number three. The New Orleans Pelicans. Number two. Oklahoma City Thunder. A.K.A. the Zombie Sonics. Zombie Sonics. And number one. L.A. Clippers. Bring it home, Bomber. All right. Hey, uh, Doug, thanks for coming out. You got anything coming up? Yeah, so I actually uh, I just started my, my own business. I Uh-oh. do uh, digital advertising, paid media, Google Ads, Facebook Ads. You can look me up at douglasmdigital.com. Sounds great. That's for small businesses, right? For small businesses, All right, exactly. Doug. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Cool. Thanks for sticking with the Upzone Sports Extravaganza Part 1. That was fun. I'm sure there'll be more of those in the future. Thanks to Kenneth Arthur, managing editor of Field Goals. Check out fieldgoals.com for Seahawks coverage that's actually thoughtful and thought out. And thanks to Doug Abbott of Douglas M. Digital for breaking all those Angelinos' hearts. Check him out at douglasmdigital.com, one word. Thanks, as always, to Anthony McPherson for his poem sample, the subcons for the music, and Brandon and Naboo for the sound support. This has been a Cascadia Underground production, and I'm your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite.